0: The next few episodes will likely be a little bit different than normal. They'll likely be shorter, um, less stressful on me, um, mostly readings from accounts of things or smaller stories, you know, just till after the holidays are over and done with, and then it'll be back to the normal episodes. This story is a reading from Witch Stories by Elizabeth Lynn Linton, a book written in 1861. But one of the most extraordinary things of all was that wonderful bit of knavery and credulity called The Devil of Glen Luce, when Master Tom Campbell set the whole country in a flame and brought no end of notice and sympathy upon him, his house and family. In 1654, one Gilbert Campbell was a weaver in Glenluce, a small village not far from Newton Stewart. Tom, his eldest son, and the most important personage in the drama, was a student at Glasgow College, and there was a certain old blaspheming beggar called Andrew Agnew, afterwards hanged at Dumfries for his atheism, having often said, in the hearing of credible witnesses, that there was no God but salt, meal, and water, who every now and then came to Glen Luce to ask alms. One day, Old Andrew visited the Campbells as usual, but got nothing, at which he cursed and swore roundly, and forthwith sent a devil to haunt the house. For it was soon after this refusal that the stirs began, and the connection was too apparent to be denied. For what could they be but the malice of the devil sent by Old Andrew in revenge? Young Tom Campbell was the worst beset of all, the demon perpetually whistling and rioting about him, and playing all sorts of diabolical and malevolent tricks. Once, too, Janet, the young daughter, going to the well, heard a whistling behind her like that produced by the small slender glass whistles of children, and a voice like the damsel's, saying, I'll cast thee, Janet, into the well. I'll cast thee, Janet, into the well. About the middle of November, when the days were dark and the nights long, Things got very bad. The foul fiend threw stones in at the doors and windows and down the chimney head. Cut the warp in the threads of Campbell's loom. Slit the family coats and bonnets and hose and shoon into ribbons. Pulled off the bedclothes from the sleeping children and left them cold and naked. Besides administering sounding slaps on those parts of their little round rosy persons, usually held sacred to the sacrifices of the rod, opened chest and trunks, and strewed the contents over the floor, knocked everything about, and ill-treated Bairn and brother, and in fact, persecuted the whole family in the most merciless manner. The weaver sent his children away, thinking their lives but barely safe, and in their absence, there were no assaults whatsoever, a thing to be specially noted. But on the ministers representing to him that he had done a grievous sin, and thus withdrawing them from God's punishments, They were brought back again in contrition. Only Tom was left behind, and nothing ensued until Tom appeared. But unlucky Tom brought the devil back with him, and then there was no more peace to be had. On the Sunday following Master Tom's return, the house was set on fire, the devil's doing. But the neighbors put the flames out again before much damage had ensued. Monday was spent in prayer, but on Tuesday, the place was again set on fire to be again saved by the neighbor's help. The weaver, in much trouble, went to the minister and besought him to take back that unlucky Tom, whom the devil so cruelly followed and molested, which request he, after a time, condescended to, although assuring the weaver that he would find himself deceived if he thought that the devil would quit with the boy. And so it proved, for Tom, having now indoctrinated some of his juniors with the same amount of mechanics and legerdemain as he himself possessed, managed that they should still be sore troubled. The demon cutting their clothes, throwing peats down the chimney, pulling off turf and feel from the roof and walls, stealing their coats, pricking their poor bodies with pins, and raising such a clamor that there was no peace or rest to be had. The case was becoming serious. Glenluce objected to being made the headquarters of the Devil and the ministers convened a solemn meeting for fast and humiliation, the upshot of which was that Weaver Campbell was led to take back his unlucky Tom, with the devil or without him. For this was the point at issue in the beginning, the motive of which is not not hard to be discovered, whereupon Tom returned. But as soon as he crossed the threshold, he heard a voice forbidding him to enter that house or any other place where his father's calling was exercised. Was Tom, the Glasgow student, afraid of being made into a weaver, consent or none demanded? In spite of the warning voice, he valiantly effered, and his persecutions began at once. Of course they did. They were tremendous, unheard of, barbarous. In fact, so bad that he was forced to return once more for a time to the minister's house. But his imitator, or disciple, left behind, carried on business in his absence. On Monday, the twelfth day of February, the demon began to speak to the family, who nothing afraid answered quite cheerily, so that they and the devil had long confidential chats together, to the great improvement of mind and morals. The ministers, hearing of this, convened again, and met at Weaver Campbell's, to see what they could do. As soon as they entered, Satan began, Cum literatum is good Latin, quoth he, these were the first words of the Latin rudiments as taught in the grammar school. Tom's classical knowledge was coming into play. After a while, he cried out, A dog! A dog! The minister, thinking he was being alluded to, answered, He thought it no evil to be reviled of him. To which Satan replied civilly, It was not you, sir, I spoke to. I meant the dog there. For there was a dog standing behind their back. They then went to prayer during which time Tom, or the devil, remained reverently silent, his education being not yet carried out to the point of scoffing. Immediately after prayer was ended, a counterfeit voice cried out, Would you know the witches of Glenloose? I will tell of them. Naming four or five persons of indifferent repute, but one of whom was dead. The weaver told the devil this, thinking to have caught him tripping. But the foul fiend answered promptly, it is true she is dead long ago, but her spirit is living with us in the world. The minister replied, saying, Though it was not convenient to speak to such an excommunicated and intercommunicated person, the Lord rebuke thee, Satan, and put thee to silence. We are not to receive information from thee, whatsoever fame any person goes under. Thou art seeking, but seduce this family, for Satan's kingdom is not divided against itself. After which little sparring there was prayer again. So Tom did not make much by this move. All the while, the young Glasgow student was hardly holden, so that there was more prayer on his special behalf. The devil then said, on their rising, Give me a spade and a shovel, and depart from the house for seven days, and I will make a grave and lie down in it, and I will trouble you no more. The good man Camboy answered, Not so much as a straw shall be given thee through God's assistance, even though that would do it. God shall remove thee in due time. Satan cried out impudently, I shall not remove for you. I have my commission from Christ to tarry and vex this family, says the minister, coming to the weaver's assistant, a permission thou hast indeed, but God will stop it in due time. Says the demon, respectfully, I have, sir, a commission which perhaps will last longer than yours and the minister died in December of that year, says Sinclair. Furthermore, the demon said that he had given Tom his commission to keep. Interrogated, that young gentleman replied in an offhand way that he had something put into his pocket, but it did not tarry. They then began to search about for this foul fiend, and one gentleman said, We think this voice speaks out of the children. The foul fiend, very angry at this, or master Tom frightened, cries out, you lie, God will judge you for your lying, and I and my father will come and fetch you to hell with warlock thieves. So the devil discharged, or forbade, the gentleman to speak anything, saying, Let him that hath a commission speak, for he is the servant of God. The minister then had a little religious controversy with a devil, who answered at last simply, I knew not these scriptures till my father taught me them. Nothing of all this disturbing the easy faith of the audience, however. They, through the minister, whom alone he would obey, conjured him to tell him who he was. Whereupon he said he was an evil spirit, come from the bottomless pit of hell, to vex this house, and that Satan was his father. And then there appeared a naked hand, and an arm from the elbow downward, beating on the floor till the house did shake again, and a loud and fearful crying, Come up, Father! Come up, Father! I will send my father among ye. See, there he is behind your backs. Says the minister, I saw indeed a hand and arm when the stroke was given and heard. Says the devil, saw ye that? It was not my hand, it was my father's. My hand is more black. Oh, said Gilbert Campbell in an ecstasy, that I might see thee as well as hear thee. Would ye see me? Says a foul thief. Put out the candle, and I shall come but the house among you like fireballs. I shall let you see me indeed. Alexander Bailey of Dunraggett said to the minister, Let us go, Ben, and see if there is any hand to be seen. But the demon exclaimed, No, let him come, Ben, alone. He is a good honest man. His single word may be believed. He then abused Mr. Robert Hay, a very honest gentleman, very ill with his tongue, calling him witch and warlock, and a little while after cried out, A witch! A witch! There's a witch sitting upon the roost! Take her away! He meant that there was a hen sitting on one of the rafters. They then went to prayer again, and when ended, the devil cried out, If the good man's son's prayers at the College of Glasgow did not prevail with God, my father and I had wrought a mischief here ere now. Ah, Master Tom, did you then know so much of prayer, and the inclining of the counsels of God? Alexander Bailey said, Well, I see you acknowledge a God, and that prayer prevails with him, and therefore we must pray to God, and commit the event to him. To which the devil replied, having an evident spite against Alexander Bailey, Yes, sir, you speak of prayer with your broad-lipped hat. For the gentleman had lately gotten a hat in the fashion with broad lips. I'll bring I'll bring a pair of shears from my father which will clip the lips of it a little. And Alexander Bailey presently heard a pair of shears go clipping round his hat which he lifted to see if the foul thief had met, had meddled with it. Then the fiend fell to prophesying. Tom was to be a merchant, Bob a smith, John a minister, and you a lawyer, all of which came to pass. Turning to Janet, the good man's daughter, he cried Janet Campbell, Janet Campbell. Wilt thou cast me thy belt? Quoth she, "What a witty would would thou do with my belt? I would fain," says he, "fasten my loose bones together." A younger daughter was sitting busking her puppies, dressing her puppets or dolls, as young girls are used to do. He threatens to ding out her horns. That is, brainer. But he but says she quietly, "No, if God go to the fore," and so falls to her work again. The good wife, having brought out some bread, was breaking it, so that every one of the company should have a piece. Cries he, Gristle Willie! Gristle Willie! Give me a piece of that haver bread. I have gotten nothing this day from Marit. That is, as they speak in the country, Margaret. The minister said to them all, Beware of that, for it is sacrificing to the devil. Marit was then called, and inquired if she had given the foul fiend any of the bread. No, says she. But when I was eating my due piece this morning, something came and clicked it out of my hands. The evening had now come, and the company prepared to depart. The minister, and the minister's wife, Alexander Bailey of Dunraggett with a broad-lipped hat, and the rest. But the devil cried out in a kind of agony, Let not the minister go! I shall burn the house if he goes. Weaver Campbell, desperately frightened, besought the minister to stay and he, not willing to let them see to see them come to mischief, at last consented. As he turned back into the house, the devil gave, gave a great gaff of laughing, saying, "Now sir, you have done my very bidding, which was unhandsome of Tom. Very. Not thine, but in obedience to God I have returned to bear this man company, whom thou dost afflict," says the minister, nowise discomposed and not disdaining to argue matters clearly with the devil. Then the minister discharged all from speaking to the demon, saying that when it spoke to them, it must kneel and pray only to God. This did not suit the demon at all. He roared mightily and cried, What? Will ye not speak to me? I shall strike the bairns and do all manner of mischief. No answer was returned, and again the children were slapped and beaten on their rosy parts, where children are accustomed to be whipped. After a while, this ended too. And then the fiend cried out to the good wife, Gristle, put out the candle. Shall I do it? Says she to the minister's wife. No, says that discreet person, for then you shall obey the devil. Upon which the devil shouted with a louder voice, Put out the candle. No one obeyed, and the candle continued burning. Put out the candle, I say, cries he more terribly than before. Gristle, not not caring to continue the uproar, put it out. And now, says he, I will trouble you no more this night. For by this time I should suppose that Master Tom was sleepy and tired and hoarse. Once again, the ministers and gentlemen met for prayer and exorcism, when it is to be presumed that Tom was not with them, for everything was quiet. But soon after, the stirs began again, and Tom and the rest were sore molested. Gilbert Campbell made an appeal to the Synod of Presbyters, a committee of whom appointed a special day of humiliation in February 1656, for the freeing of the weaver's house from this affliction. In consequence whereof, from April to August, the devil was per- was perfectly quiet, and the family lived together in peace. But after this, the mischief broke out again afresh. Perhaps Tom had come home from college, or his father had renewed his talk of settling him firmly to his own trade. Whatever the cause, the effect was certain the devil had come back to Glenloose. One day, as the good wife was standing by the fire, making the porridge for the children, the demon came and snatched the plate on which was the oatmeal out of her hand, and spilt all the meal. Let me have the plate again, says Gristle Willie, very humbly, and it came flying back to her. It is like if she had sought the meal too, she might have gotten it. Such is his civility when he is entreated, says Sinclair. But this would have been rather beyond even Master Tom's power of leisure domain. Things after this went very ill. The children were daily thrashed with heavy staves, and everyone in the family underwent much personal damage, until, as a climax, on the 18th of September, the demon said he would burn the house down, and did in fact set it on fire. But it was put out again before much damage was to be done. After a time, probably by Tom's going away or becoming afraid of being found out, the devil was quieted and laid forever, and Master Tom employed his intellect and energies in other ways than terrifying his father's family to death and making stirs which went by the name of demoniac. Once again, this has been a reading from Witch Stories by Elizabeth Lynn Linton, written in 1861. And until next time, this is Andrew, signing off.